March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortal. They have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being. But a spirit. And a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call. The Axe Man. <laughs> hey y'all and welcome to Southern Fried Spooky. The podcast home of all things Southern Spooky. And today slightly chopped. <laughs> I'm your Carolina girl Heather. And I'm your Florida man Tony. And we'd like to invite you to our Facebook page and leave us some likes or comments. Mm-hmm. We have an Instagram and a Patreon. Please Indeed. leave us some high star ratings on your podcast platform. Today, yeah. we are looking at the grisly crimes of an individual who to this day remains unknown. We'll be venturing to the Big Easy, the city of wild decadence, New Orleans. Nolens! Nolens, where in the early 1900s, a fell demon slipped into houses of seemingly random families and axed them to death in their beds. May I ax you a question? No. <coughs> Dear God. As the killer's working name implies... The victims were... He used a chainsaw, right? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Gasoline-powered full... (laughs) We need a full description there, because I don't have it. Victims were attacked with an axe, Mm. which often belonged to the victims themselves. The point of entry was often a panel on the back door of the home that was chiseled off. Well, I was about to say, if he's wielding an axe, the point of entry is anywhere. (laughs) It could be, but that would be loud. So he would take a chisel, take off a panel on the door, shimmy in... And leave the panel and the chisel on the floor. And leave the axe behind as well. Wow. But you know, this is before fingerprinting, so yeah. Oh, yeah. nowadays it would be very easy. Back wait, then, wait, not you so said much. early 1900s, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... 1918, 1919. So yeah, I mean, no fingerprinting whatsoever. You, <laughs> If somebody recognized you, it was a turn, you know? Yeah, basically. <laughs> then the intruder attacked one or more of the residents with either an axe or a straight razor which was also left behind he never removed items from the victim's homes valuables were just left in plain sight so he wasn't there to take anything so the mo was not like robbery or anything like that Mm. no we can't tell you much about the murderer because nobody knows who he is i was about to say because does really anybody know who he is not a clue but much is known about his victims they were almost all but not exclusively but mostly italian immigrants who often opened and ran their own grocery stores. I mean, that's a weird niche. Uh, that's the link? That's the link? Uh, for the most part, yes. What a, What kind of weird racism is that? Well, uh, there is a thing that Italians were often laborers alongside African Americans, and they were sometimes seen in the same category. But then they started working their way up, earning money, buying grocery stores, and becoming, uh, I don't know, you know, slightly higher in the hierarchy than laborer. So, you know, any good southern racist white guy would probably not like that. Wow. <laughs> and they found themselves in the French Quarter, for the most part, running their grocery stores. Italians in the French Quarter. Yep, very European. So, there is a theory that it's just a disgruntled white man who's resenting their success. 
Yeah, but that mo, that's just weird. Like he would, well, you like you said before, fingerprinting, where most crimes could be solved with he did it. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean. Well, and there was a lot of finger pointing, a lot of confusion. The like oh, police yeah. really wanted it to be one thing or another. They often tried to sort of pass it off as, well, these are Italians. This is just what they do. What, yeah. did they think it was the mob? <laughs> kind of, yeah. The axe man cometh? Except for that's not typically a mafia move, but, you know, whatever's convenient. Wow. Now, while it's not certain, it is believed that Joe Davi was the first victim to actually be murdered. There were a couple of attacks before, but surprisingly, those victims survived. The With Davies, no eyewitnesses whatsoever? He was very good at being um, surreptitious. Oh, yeah. Um, the Davies were a young couple, like young couple, with a thriving store. Mary Davies survived, just barely, and was widowed at 16. Ooh. The weapon was determined to be a butcher's cleaver. And the man, according to Mary, who attacked them was white with unaccented English. In a place where most everyone has an accent, you would notice. Yeah. So are we talking about like transatlantic kind of there's nothing there? I, I don't know, but at least he didn't sound Italian or like any other particular sort of immigrant. Yeah. And he wore workman's clothes. He was nicknamed the cleaver and the media just ran with that oh, until yeah. interest waned and other things happened. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. Now, this is kind of unusual. You know, some serial killers have their dormant period. So he successfully killed one person and then waited. Seven years. Seven years, if this was, in fact, his work. On May 23rd, 1918, Joe Maggio, not the baseball player, that's DiMaggio, by the way. Yes, I'm aware of okay. that. Okay. But I wasn't sure if everyone would hear that. Okay. Joe Maggio mm-hmm. and his wife, Catherine, were attacked while sleeping. That's also the thing. They're almost, it's at night and everyone's asleep. Where They were sleeping in their home, which was also a bar and a grocery. Wow. <laughs> like, they lived in the back. That's how a lot of people did. The killer broke into their home, kind of quietly, and then proceeded to cut the couple's throats with a straight razor. And before leaving, he just... Hit them over the head with an axe, I guess, just to confuse the police. Was he Borden's dad? <laughs> no, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Though if there was any relation, that would be interesting. Joseph initially survived the attack, but died shortly after being discovered by his brothers. Andrew Maggio, who lived in the adjoining apartment, he heard strange cries and moaning. Oh, that's just Joe and Mary. Right. Um, I mean... So before he actually committed to investigating, he ran down the road to fetch older brother Jacob, and they both discovered the horrible scene. Wow. In the apartment, law enforcement agents found bloody clothes from the murderer, again, clearly before DNA was returned. No DNA, no fingerprints, no nothing. Because he changed into a clean set of clothes before fleeing. A thorough search of the premises was not completed by police after the bodies were removed, but the razor was found later on the lawn of a neighboring property. Now, the razor used to kill the couple belonged to Andrew Maggio, the brother and discoverer of the deceased. Andrew owned a barbershop, which kind of makes sense, and his employee, Esteban Torres, 
told police that Maggio had taken the razor from his shop two days prior. Just, uh, he explained that he wanted to have a nick honed out of the blade. Now, Andrew explained he didn't hear anything for a while because he'd gotten drafted and he was on a bender. Mm. Um, one source said he was celebrating before shipping off to the Navy. This 1918. Was, wow, that puts it World War One. Yep. Wow. But the police were not exactly impressed with this and kind of surprised that he kind of failed to hear the intruder as he made a forced entry into the home. It's like, oh yeah, you're going to make a great soldier there, buddy. <laughs> Andrew Maggio then became the police chief's prime suspect. Well, of course he did. However, well, I mean, actually, he and Jacob both were taken down and uh, booked for a while, but they released Jake because they couldn't find any reason to hold him, and eventually they had to let go of Andrew because they couldn't find any fault in his statement. And there was his account of an unknown man who was supposedly seen lurking near the residence. But he also was subjected to some pretty, you know, the interrogation um, procedures of the time. Oh, yeah. And he was forced to miss his brother's funeral. Oh, wait! (laughs) Not quite that bad, but almost. (laughs) Now, curiously... The killer, we assume, scrawled a message on the pavement about a block away, reading, Miss Maggio will sit up tonight, just like Miss Tony. It is theorized to be a reference to Anthony and Joanna Scambra, Italian greengrocers who were attacked with an axe in 1911, resulting in the death of Mrs. Scambra. Joanna was reportedly known by customers as Mrs. Tony, and media speculation ramped up at this discovery. Back then, he was still the cleaver before he elevated to the axe man. Yeah. I guess he grew up as, as things went along. Oh, they grew up so fast. Right? Moving on. Mm-hmm. Louis Bessemer, a Polish immigrant, here's a little bit of a difference, oh. and Harriet Lowe were attacked in the early mornings of June 27th, 1918. Let's see, that lasted so a month later? In the quarters at the back of their grocery. Now, Bessemer was struck with a hatchet right above his right temple. And there was a cut, but no real damage. Apparently, the axe was fairly blunt, which yeah. I guess in this case was kind of good. I mean, you would still get bludgeoned, but... Yeah. Now, Lowe was hacked over the left ear and found unconscious. The couple themselves were discovered shortly after 7 a.m. on the morning of the attack by John Zanka, a bakery wagon delivery driver. That's really hard to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who had come on a regular delivery run. Which they did back in the day. Oh, yeah. Bessemer was, as I said, a little cut up, but Lowe, the partner, her skull was actually cracked, and her beautiful face, she was known to be quite lovely, was disfigured. And the axe, which belonged to Bessemer himself, was found in the bathtub. Bessemer later stated to police that he had been asleep when he was hit with the axe, or the hatchet, or whatever. What a rude awakening. Right? Now, media attention... You're snoring! (laughs) Weirdly, here's a little twist. Media attention soon turned to Bessemer himself as a series of letters written in German, Russian, and Yiddish were discovered in a trunk in his house. He apparently spoke many languages, so police suspected that Bessemer was a German spy and government officials began a full investigation of potential espionage. So it's one of those things of we can't find someone, so we're going to point our fingers at the commie type deal? Uh, probably. Okay. 
Now, weeks later, going in and out of consciousness and a certain amount of lucidity, Harriet Lowe told police that she, too, thought Bessemer was a German spy. And that led to his immediate arrest. But two days later, he was released, and two lead investigators of the case were demoted due to unacceptable police work. Right. But Bessemer was once again arrested in August 1918 after Harriet Lowe, who lay dying in Charity Hospital after a failed surgery, stated that it was he who attacked her more than a month previously. He was charged with murder and served nine months in prison, like you do, before being acquitted on May 1st, 1919, after a 10-minute jury deliberation. Can you imagine that deliberation? All right, everybody back in the back. Dude, is he guilty? No, he's freaking crazy. (laughs) All right, all right, hold on, hold on. So we're all in agreement. This dude's just nuts, right? Yeah, yeah, man. Okay. What do we want for lunch today? I mean, it was a different time, no? Now, the Times-Picayune, or Picayune, I don't ever know how to say that. That's a weird word. It is typical of newspapers, and I need to look up what it actually means. But... The newspaper sensationalized Lowe and her outspoken nature upon discovering that she was not Bessemer's wife, but his mistress. Dun, dun, dun! Bessemer's legal wife arrived from Cincinnati a few days following, which just fanned the flames of drama even more. But Lowe died in the hospital, having recanted and reaffirmed her accusations. But while Bessemer was in jail, I guess fortunately for him, the killer struck again. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they would never born than incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Wow. This is a busy man. Yeah. And the late night slash early evening no pun intended hours of august 5th 1918 28 year old anna schneider so he's going at like one time a month now just about she was having difficulty sleeping because she was eight months pregnant schneider german which is miserable yeah not the german part but no no the pregnancy she, <laughs> she was discovered covered in blood by her sister who lived next door Schneider claimed that she remembered nothing of the attack, can't say as I blame her, and then gave birth two days later to a healthy baby girl. The windows and the doors... Which they nicknamed Lucky. Right? (laughs) The windows and doors of the apartment appeared to not have been forced open, and it seemed that she was most likely attacked with a lamp that had been on a nearby table. So this dude, he breaks into this house, into people's houses, with... No weapons whatsoever. Weapons of opportunity, basically. Just whatever's there. And he procures whatever's in the house. Yeah, well, okay, 1918, most people did not have air or heating, so, like, to cook and all that. They're going to have to have wood, and they're going to have to cut it up. Yeah. So everyone had axes, so it was not unusual. No, I'm just saying, can I just admit how ingenious that really is? Right. Like, nowadays, only a few people have axes, and it's still kind of a weird thing. Yeah. However, 
The lead investigators were just kind of wondering, was this actually an Axeman victim? Because it, it, she was not an immigrant. She was not a grocer. She was an Italian. We don't... She wasn't... You know, well, the killed. last name Schneider? Yeah. She was not... I mean, the break-in was unusual. I mean, everything about this really didn't fit, except for the breaking in at night and hitting her over the head. Yeah. So, it, it's counted as one of his... Um, Attempted? Yeah, yeah, but it. we're not really sure. Now, moving on. I mean, he's just very persistent. Joseph Romano. Sounds like spaghetti R- sauce. Ray. Yeah. <laughs> he was a 31-year-old man living with his two nieces, Pauline, 13, and Mary... No, Pauline, 15, and Mary, 13, Bruno. They... We, don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't talk about them. <laughs> we, don't, we don't talk about them. Well, we're going to. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Now, they both worked... Like full-time jobs, like the thirteen-year-old managed the grocery store. Pauline and Mary awoke to the a commotion in their uncle's room. Upon entering, the sisters discovered that their uncle had been struck in the head with something kind of serious, and the assailant fled the scene as they arrived. They were only able to distinguish that he was dark-skinned, although it was dark, so they could be wrong. Heavyset, a heavyset man who wore a dark suit and a slouched hat. Now, can I just bring this up? Um, sure. This is five days later. Yeah. Our boy grows up so fast. Right. I mean, he was making up for lost time. Now, get this. Romano, though seriously injured, was able to walk to the ambulance once it arrived. However, he died two hours later due to, um, well, severe head trauma. The axe was sharp and had gone all the way down to his brain. Wow. Which, I guess, isn't really that far, but one skull is usually pretty thick. But, I mean, think about, head injuries can be survived. Yeah. Let's look at the the classic case of Phineas Gage. Phineas Gage, Gage, yes. Who had a metal rod shot through his freaking head. Yeah, and it did weird things to his personality. But he survived. He did. So, him getting up and going, guys, I can make it to the ambulance. I got this. Well, I mean, if you count it up, I think more of the victims actually survived than didn't. Yeah. But it, in a way, I almost feel worse because, I mean, that's a terrible... I mean, they're going to be, like, subject to bad headaches and oh, yeah. vision problems and not, not and Probably personality change. Could be. Again, authorities found the bloody axe in the backyard and discovered that a panel in the back door had been chiseled off. Wow. Now, at this point, I don't know what took them so long, but at this point, this last murder created a state of extreme chaos in the city. They, like, Axeman fear was suddenly a thing. Police were receiving a slew of reports in which citizens claimed to have seen the Axeman lurking in New Orleans neighborhoods. He was the boogeyman, basically. Mm-hmm. Many Italian groceries closed for a little bit. All of New Orleans was terrified, and people began purchasing weapons, staying up at night to keep watch. Um, forming group um, neighborhood watches. Are we talking about the Axeman or Katrina? Because that all all happened during Katrina, too. Well, uh, different uh, attacker, but Uh, yeah. Okay. It also didn't help that there were copycat criminals who would stage scenes as an Axeman attack, leaving an axe and all that, but Mm. having robbed the people. So at this point, we can sort of separate, since the Axeman wasn't interested in robbery, he didn't do that. But robbers would rob things and then leave an axe or something to try to throw people off the path. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am. But I could be much worse if I wanted to. 
If I wished I could pay a visit to your city every night, at will I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the Angel of Death. And then the Axeman frenzy faded a little bit. Because I was, I was Spanish about to say, flu! 1918, it's gotta be Spanish flu. That took over the headlines. And when that started to fade after, you know, lots of people were sick and dying. Well, and, you know, 3.5 million people died due to Spanish flu, so yeah. We sort of vaguely know what that's like. Those of us who remember the COVID times of a few years yeah. back. Not even that many. And then World War One or the Great War, ended. So that took over the news frenzy. So then... I guess the Axeman was rested. He was... Who knows? Maybe he got sick for a while. Oh, I don't maybe. know. But he was... Well, I will leave you to pronounce that last name. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Charles Cortamiglia. He was an Italian immigrant, imagine that, who lived with his wife, Rosie, and their two-year-old daughter, Mary, in Gretna, Louisiana, hmm. which is a New Orleans suburb. It's just across the Mississippi River. Mississippi. That's the thing I can't pronounce, apparently. On the night of March 10th, 1919, screams were heard coming from the Cortemiglia residence. You're counting it up? Yeah, so seven months and three days. So a little bit of a respite. Certainly shorter than seven years. Yeah. Grocer Orlando Giordano rushed across the street to investigate with his teenage son, Frank. Now, upon his arrival, Giordano was horrified to discover that Charles Cortemiglia, his wife, and their daughter had all been attacked by the unknown intruder. Giordano sent his son to summon the police and the doctor, and the couple was rushed to Charity Hospital. It was discovered that both had suffered severe skull... Well, I mean, I, as if there's a simple one. Skull fractures. Yeah. Nothing was stolen from the house, but a panel in the back door had been chiseled away, and a bloody axe was found on the back porch. Charles was released two days later. His wife remained in the care of doctors, and Mary was beyond saving. Upon gaining full consciousness... Rosie made claims that Orlando Giordano and his teenage son, Frank, were responsible for the attacks. Orlando was a 69-year-old man in poor state of health, arthritic, and limited in movement. Yeah. Frank was more than six feet tall and weighed over 200 pounds. So there's no way he could have whittled his little ass into that, <laughs> that door panel. Right. And Charles Cortemiglia vehemently denied his wife's claims, but police were very insistent, and the two were arrested and charged with murder. And the men would be found guilty. Frank was sentenced to hang, and his father was sentenced to life in prison. Now, it should be noted that the families had always been very close. Yeah. Until the Cortemiglias opened their own store and became competition. So there was a falling out. There was even a sort of a nasty court case. However, the Giordanos had always been fond of the little girl, and they would not have wanted any of them dead. No. Actually, the little girl called Orlando Grandad. No. Or the Italian version of that. And it is understood that the police, as soon as she was released from the hospital, arrested Rosie and asked her leading questions and made it very clear that she wasn't going to leave until she pointed the finger at the Giordano's. Wow. She was a material witness. Now, she was traumatized, confused, exhausted, mourning her daughter. She spoke English well enough, but she didn't read it. Someone very conveniently wrote up a statement for her and insisted she sign it. Which she did, because I think at this point she just wanted to go home. So as I said, initially the Giordanos were sentenced to life in prison and a death sentence. Yeah. But they were released from jail over a year later, after Rosie retracted her statement. 
Charles Cortemiglia divorced his wife after the trial and she was alone in the world. You know, she was still mourning the daughter and that probably contributed to their divorce. She was dying of smallpox. Oh, wow. And felt it was something she needed to confess to explain how she'd been hounded into the accusations. Yeah. And now it gets interesting. Hey, well, it hasn't been interesting enough. Okay, well, now it gets weird. Okay. On March 13th, 1919, a letter purporting to be from the Axeman himself was published in the newspapers saying that he would kill again at 15 minutes past midnight on the night of March 19th. But he would make an arrangement. He would spare the occupants of any place where a jazz band was playing. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music. And I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for your people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. So that night, New Orleans dance hall was filled to capacity, and bands played jazz at parties at hundreds of houses around town, and the streets were totally empty because no one dared be out at that time. There were no murders that night. A sort of strange New Orleans jazz Passover. Now, I want you to, like, can you imagine that being the Axeman? And stepping out on your balcony when you live in the French Quarter and, you know, you've already sipped your Chardonnay. (laughs) And you look around and all of New Orleans is quietly playing jazz. The streets are playing jazz. Like, everything. And you're just like, these people are idiots. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe he felt very powerful. However... Historians, especially the biographer of the Axeman, which is hard to do when you don't know who he is. I was about to say, how do you have a biographer when no one knows who you are? Now, they have, you know, an idea of, like, his profile and Yeah, I mean, you have a profiler, yes. And you do what we're doing, which is talk about the victims. Mm. However, they do wonder if this letter was written by him, because the profile suggests a blue-collar working man... And the letter was written in rather fancy script and a sophisticated manner. I'm not saying that blue-collar people are beyond this kind, but they, at the time, they just sort of thought it was a little too... Um, Bougie? <laughs> that's one way to put it. Too refined for him. Yeah. Some suspect that actual jazz musicians were behind the letter. <laughs> Sheet music marketed as Axeman repelling music flew off the shelves. Okay, yeah, definitely. Conveniently, a few days later, there was a man who released um, a song, and I have to look up the name, but it's basically, um, like, the mysterious axe man, he doesn't scare me, Papa, or something like that. I'll... Wow. I'll post a picture of the, uh, the cover. It's, it's so interesting. Wow. So, yeah, marketing. It's a thing. Right. (laughs) Merchandising. Right. Okay, now just a few more. Mm-hmm. Steve Boca, which does sound sort of Italian, a grocer was attacked in his bedroom as he slept by an axe-wielding intruder on August 10th, 1919. This attack took place after the letter, 
And I took out a lot of the details because it was just basically a standard axe man attack. Yeah. M.O., somebody broke in, used their own axe, popped uh-huh. it in the head, walked out, left any evidence behind. Yeah. Um, Sarah Lohman, a 19-year-old woman who lived alone, was attacked on the night of September 3rd, 1919. Neighbors heard the ruckus, if you will, and came to check on her, and they discovered her lying unconscious on her bed, suffering a severe head injury, duh, and even missing some teeth. The intruder had entered the apartment through an open window and attacked the woman with a blunt object. Bloody axe was discovered on the front lawn of the building. Now, she recovered from her injuries, but of course, like a lot of them, couldn't really remember details. yeah. I guess because you start out asleep and you end up with a head trauma. Yeah. Now, this last one's a little suspicious. Mike Pepitone, for all I know, it could be Pepitone, but what I heard was Pepitone. He's 35, was attacked on the night of October 27th, 1919. His wife was awakened by noise and arrived at the door of his bedroom. I guess they slept apart. Just as Which, in, I mean, that wasn't a big thing back then. Uh, true. They would come together for... <clears throat> fun. Playtime. And <laughs> then they would go back to their respective rooms. Sometimes it works out. My grandparents had separate rooms because... Well, mainly, who, whichever of them fell asleep first was the only one who was going to sleep that night. Snoring? Yes. Yeah. So they had their own rooms. But she arrived at the door of his bedroom to see a large axe-wielding man flee the scene. Mike Pepitone had been struck in the head and was naturally covered in his own blood. Mm-hmm. Now, Mrs. Pepitone, the mother of six children, was unable to describe any characteristics of the killer other than large axe-wielding. Yeah. Now, there is reason to believe, for details I'm not going to go into here, but apparently Mike Pepitone himself had been involved in a murder some years before. Oh. So it is thought that this might be a revenge killing. Yeah. You know, that whole Italian vendetta thing. We oh, don't yeah. know. So... Incidentally, we are not trying to... Stereotype? Ins- insult any Italians who may have vendettas out there. <laughs> we love you. Please note that. <laughs> Thank you for that that little statement there. But it is slated as one of the last of the alleged Axeman ta- attacks in New Orleans. Wow. It was quiet for a while... And then similar crimes started showing up about 200 miles away. No thefts, attempted murders of Italian grocers, similar entries, and the axe left behind. And then reports of anything related to the axe man just stopped. He just disappeared, and his cases were cold. I mean, was he arrested for something else? Did he die? Did he move out of country? Nobody knows. It's like our own southern version of Jack the Ripper. He appeared, struck terror into the hearts of many, and then he just stopped. Or as I like to call him, H.H. Holmes. (laughs) We'll get into that at some point. Yeah. But he has since lurked about in pop culture, biographies, TV shows. I mean, he was a character in American Horror Story. Wait, was he? He was a little side character in Coven. I've never seen Coven. Well, not the whole thing. Yeah. And he's just a few minutes, but it's very cool. There have been comic books... We can say the impression he made was far deeper than he could have imagined. And all it took was a swing of an axe. (laughs) The pun. The puns. This is why I write the stuff. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact 
or realm of fantasy. The Axeman. So thank you for joining us, our spooky friends. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Leave us some comments on Facebook or check out our socials. And we'd like to thank Kyle B. Jones for his vocal talent in playing our Axeman. Indeed. And you can you can find him at Carolina Renaissance Festival as the character Blue Bo 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 Bo. <laughs> yes. Yes. And telling he's stories. A great, he's a great storyteller. And we will be linking his webpage and other information on our Facebook page. Indeed. And with any luck, you'll hear from him again on our podcast. Absolutely. For now, I'm your Carolina girl, Heather. And I'm your Florida man, Tony. And we are Southern Southern Fried Fried Spooky. Spooky. Someone's tired. Join us next week. Someone's sick. (laughs) Well, that's true, too. I give you props for for getting through this. Join us next week for whatever, whatever we end up doing then. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, bye, Bye, y'all. Ha, 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 ha.